Crime One and Chaos contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Chaos Kids. You guys want to see a dead body? I'm Amber. And I'm Naomi. Mm, this is Crime One and Chaos. <laughs> Woo! Are you upset? It was good. Oh, All right, hold on. I... I'm already like oh. I'm, I'm I'm already heating up here. I'm already heating up. We're going down this, to the we're going down to the sports bra here. This is crime wine and chaos in the nude. Like this after, is like crime wine and chaos, edition. like burlesque show is what this Woo-hoo. is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, sister! Hi, sister! Oh, hi! Free the tatas, you know. Free the tatas. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I could free mine out of my Peace armpit. Suppressors. <laughs> oh my god! This penis party's got to go. Hey, hey! Ho, ho! <laughs> <laughs> yes. So good. Oh, I feel like so very good. like 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 pumped up like women's power right now because I have been uh, well as you know I finally caved and I I joined the TikTok mm-hmm. and let me tell you there is there are so many amazing women content creators just like preaching preaching for women mm-hmm. and it is incredible. Like incredible, such my jam. Like I'm all about it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, feeling very, very women's lib today. Good for you. Good for you. What's going going on with you, sister? Um, God, well, I wish that's what was going on with me. Um, let's see. I, you know, I did an open mic last night at the blue moon. That's always a good time. I love. You've talked about those open mics at the blue moon. They sound like a pretty special. They are special. What a cool eclectic group of artists and just positivity, you know? So I'm a little bit tired, you know, Wednesday night, you know, out until 10 when you're over 40 is like, you're asking for it. Sure. Sure. I mean, more tired than you normally are because you're normally tired. Oh yeah. I'm always tired. Sure. 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 Now I just can't even. So that was fun. Okay. Um, Great. Um, let's, let's record a podcast then. Let's do it. Oh, I'm uh, (laughs) a real quick. I am drinking, uh, Baxteen Charise, which is a South African red tonight. Oh, you're drinking a red. I'm drinking a red. Um, pretty good. I opened it to make my stroganoff two nights ago. So now it needs to just be polished off. You put red wine in your stroganoff? Oh yeah, it is a game changer. Hmm. Yep, one of the best batches I've ever made. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. We'll have yeah. to circle back and talk about that again later. Um, okay. <laughs> so, Whoa. I'm skeptical. That's all I'm saying. I'm skeptical. Oh, okay. All uh, right. Should, you know what? We should have like a stroganoff off. Is what we should Stro- do. A strogan off. Um, <laughs> so bring dirty. it. I know. I'll be stroking. Bring it on. Okay. All right. I love that. I love that. You know okay. what? And it's like we're moving into fall and winter. So it's like definitely stroganoff season. So, mm-hmm. you know, like warm right. comfort food. Speaking of comfort food, I, I am going to do a little tangent here. Sorry, because I went to this place on Sunday night with some friends for dinner called Terry's something. Terry's. Terry's Kitchen, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's down in like the Newport neighborhood, just like south of Factoria. Okay. Like right in a neighborhood. Weird. Okay. Like really weird. Like the last little section of like a huge supermarket. There's like a supermarket. I don't even know. It's like not even a chain. I don't remember what the name of the supermarket was. It was like some local big supermarket building. And then on the very last little bit of the building, it's like Terry's kitchen and they serve like comfort food, but it's weird. It's like, they call it Pacific Northwest comfort food, but there's like all this kind of like Asian inspired stuff on there too. But Amber, oh my God, they serve a, they call it a gravy bowl. Okay. And it's like, you choose your meat. They also have like a, like a vegan option. So you can get like these, I don't know, mushroom something or other. And then they serve it with this, with gravy and you have two gravy choices and they put the whole thing over either rice or mashed potatoes, whichever you choose. And it's just a bowl, like a whole Stop bowl. It. 
<laughs> and it was so good. I was that like, sounds good. It reminded me a lot of like how we eat stroganoff. Cause like, here's a weird one for the chaos kids. You guys, we grew up with stroganoff being served over mashed potatoes, not over noodles. Like we never mm-hmm. had stroganoff over noodles. It was always over mashed potatoes. And I stand firm by it today. Like to this day, that is the superior, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Carbohydrate to serve stroganoff on. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It, it is, is pretty it, tasty. Yeah. 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 Anyway, super good. Really good place. Highly recommend yeah. it. All right. Um, anyway, so let me tell you about <clears throat> something fucked up. Oh, great. From gravy bowl to fucked up. Something fucked up. Well, I mean, that's how we roll here, right? It's true. It's true though. You know, mm-hmm. this is literally what we do. I'm going to tell you about Bobby Ann McLeod. Okay. So Bobby Ann McLeod lived with her parents, Donna and Adrian, in the Laham neighborhood of Plymouth on the island of Great Britain. Mm. Plymouth is a good-sized city in the very southwest coastal region of the island. Like, there's a piece of the island that kind of juts off, like, a little, like, arm, and it's, like, down there, and it's, like, right on the coastline. Mm-hmm. Bobby Ann also had an older brother named Lee. I wasn't quite sure after reading all the articles if like, I wasn't quite sure how much older than her Lee was. I think just a couple of years maybe. And I, it wasn't clear if he was also like still living at home or not at the time of these events. Um, Bobby Ann uh, was 18 at the time of the, this all went down. She's described as four foot, 11 inches tall. Oh, she's fun size. Yes. Very slight in build. She had brown shoulder length hair and green eyes. Um, Some would say her small stature made her seem even younger than her 18 years. Bobby Ann Mm -hmm. had a boyfriend, Louis Leach, that she had been dating for about six months. And someone who knew Bobby Ann said that Louis was ever so nice. That was the quote. And Bobby Ann herself was a lovely girl. She was creative, popular, She had a dream of becoming an interior designer and she was attending college at the time. She had, I would, I believe she had just started college because this all takes place in November. Um, likely in pursuit of the, this dream of becoming an interior designer. Mm -hmm. So it's Saturday evening, November 20th, 2021. Uh, Yeah. Just, just under two years ago. Bobby Ann set out towards the bus stop on Sheepster Road, uh, intending to take a bus into the Plymouth City Center because, you know, Layham was like a suburb, basically, of Plymouth. Mm -hmm. So she's she's getting ready. She's going to take a bus to the center of the city proper. She's going to spend time with Louie. On her way, she would likely have walked across an underpass on Grimm's Pound close to get there. She had left the house to catch the bus around 5.45 p.m., telling her dad she loved him before she closed the door. Mm-hmm. It was coming on about 7.15 p.m., and Bobby hadn't contacted anyone in her family to update them on where she was, was by that time, which was really out of character for her. And they were starting to worry a bit after she didn't reply to a text message asking if she was all right. So around 9 p.m., like... Almost two hours goes by. Louie calls the house and asks her family if uh, Bobby Ann is there because she never arrived at his place. Oh, no. Yeah. And that was when it was very apparent to her family and to Louie that something was really wrong. So Donna, Bobby Ann's mom, starts calling around to Bobby's friends, asking if they had seen her. Her brother Lee goes out looking for her. They're posting on social media, asking if anyone has seen Bobby. And by the next day, members of the community have joined the police in an extensive search for Bobby Ann, with the police making public appeals to help in finding her. Wow. I mean, they're doing things different over there. They're on it right away. Right away. Mm, Right away. good. Good. I mean, I really got the sense from what I'd read that, you know, this is one of those, like, you know, kind of typical, I mean, it's a low crime suburban area. This is not Mm -hmm. like, I don't think that people just go missing all the time. Right. 
Um, that next day, the 21st, a local schoolboy who claims he saw Bobby waiting for the bus the night before said he found her AirPods on a path behind the bus stop. And sometime in these first couple of days uh, that Bobby was missing, uh, her phone was turned into the police. Someone, okay, so there was kind of two accounts. Someone had, one account said that someone had found her phone and the case for her iPods at the bus stop and turned them both into the bus driver when he got on the bus and both the bus driver and this person who found them just assumed at the time that someone had forgotten them at the bus stop. But another story said that the police found the AirPods and a pouch of tobacco in a grassy area near the bus stop. And then there was another article or there was a few articles that were like, and they found her phone, but they didn't really say this story about the, bus rider and the bus driver. So it isn't entirely clear when these things were found or who found the items, but in the days after her disappearance, these, all these things were found, right? Okay. AirPods separate from her AirPod case, a pouch of tobacco. I'm, she must've like rolled her own cigarettes maybe. Okay. Um, and her phone were all found within a day or two of her going missing. Hmm. So Brother Lee makes uh, another plea on social media for information about Bobby's whereabouts. Quote, I'm begging every single person in Plymouth, help me search everywhere, search everything. Someone has my fucking sister. My sister's phone has been tracked by police. However, due to the phone being off, they've managed to know she's still in the Plymouth area, but don't know her actual location. Please, please, people, you hear anything, see anything, tell me. Oh, poor brother. I know. At one point, there's a, there's a point at which he, I think it might have been at like a vigil for her. Like he held up this picture of the two of them when they were little and they were both in their like little private school outfits that match and like this little portrait of these two siblings and they're just uh-huh. the cutest little things. And yeah. the family was really tight. Like I kept reading over and over again, like this whole family, like we were really tight. I, it's possible that Lee did still live at home as well. Like, I don't know, maybe he was in college too. I didn't really get a lot of information on him or the parents, but mm-hmm. I did get a sense that like, this was a really close knit family. I mean, obviously Bobby is somebody who, when she goes to take the bus to her boyfriend's house, like she's going to check in with her mom or her dad and be like, I made it, you know? Yeah. Right. Totally. So people, yeah, police took this disappearance very seriously and they searched in earnest for three days after Bobby was reported missing, going so far as to dust for fingerprints in the entire area around the bus stop and cordoning off the underpass tunnel near area near the bus stop that Bobby likely would have walked through. The whole community was concerned and a real dread had settled over everyone that Bobby had not just ran off with friends, but that something terrible had happened to her. Yeah. And then three days after Bobby was reported missing on Tuesday, November 23rd, a man walked into the Charles Cross police station in Plymouth, arms behind his back, wearing a face mask and a high vis jacket. He walks up to this like plexiglass window with like some, I don't know, young rookie cop, like that's sitting on the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. You have, there's video footage. There's like CCTV oh, camera footage I'm, of this. I have chills. And he just calmly confesses to being responsible for the disappearance of Bobby Ann. Oh God. And he has a mask on. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming like a, oh. you know, like a plague, ma- you know, like a, like a mask like we've been wearing for years because of the pandemic. Oh, okay. Still, that's all very creepy. It's weird. I don't like it. So, of course, police start asking him questions, and he asks them for a map so he can point out to, for the police, like, the location of where Bobby could be found. Mm -hmm. So, police race out to this area at, it's called Bovisand Beach. They're, like, you know, hoping that they're going to find her maybe injured but still alive, maybe. Right. This place is about 8 to 10 miles from where she disappeared. Um. And it was around 3.45 p.m. that they did find Bobby. She was not alive. She was under some bushes and undergrowth about 15 feet down a steep incline off a densely wooded lane. The whole thing looks like a big park or recreational area right next to the water, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Formal identification would come later, but investigators were pretty certain that the body they found there was Bobby. So initially there were two men arrested in suspicion of Bobby's murder, a 24-year-old and a 26-year-old, but the 26-year-old man was released without further action. 24-year-old was kept in custody and questioned further, and this is the guy that came in and confessed. Okay. And he just spilled everything. Okay. And as police dug into this guy, the whole picture just, I, I, it's like I was like speechless. So <clears throat> this guy, Cody Ackland, was an absolute stranger to Bobby Ann. They did not know each other or have mutual friends or have any even tenuous ties to each other in any way, shape, or form. He was an absolute, complete, and utter stranger to her. God, this is so rare. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Atkins was in a local band called Rakuto, which was named after a pub in, the, in that town. <clears throat> they were a pretty popular band, and they played regularly. And Ackland was their lead guitarist. It looks like he did some vocals maybe, and he was the main songwriter for the group. Mm -hmm. He had songs on Spotify. They even got played on the local radio station. Like they kind of had this cult following. Like they were, they were like jamming it. Okay. Um, as soon as the news came out that he was under arrest for the murder of Bobby Ann, Recruto made a public statement that they were disbanding. Although then I read an article later that they eventually did get back together just without the murderer. Fuck. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, according to the police and the court proceedings, this is what, this is, this is the story that we find out. <clears throat> okay. So Acklin was described by investigators that took a statement as nervous, passive, playing with his hands and seemed very pale as he confessed. And he also wanted to make sure that police knew that there was nothing sexual about what he did and that he never touched her in a sexual way. Hmm. which the autopsy confirmed. But also, like, I was thinking about that. We have how many times, how many times have we talked about some piece of shit murderer uh, yeah. mm -hmm. who then has some, like, moral line yeah. that he didn't cross and he wants, like, credit for it or he wants to make yeah. sure that he didn't rape her or he didn't, yeah. he's not a necrophile or he did, he doesn't swear. Okay. McCamey guy. Right. Like yes. I don't swear. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I torture people, but I don't swear. Cause yeah. I'm a moral upstanding person. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, uh -huh. okay, dude, we just found her dead and you're the one who did it. But like, let's give you like a fucking gold star for the day for not raping her too. Right. No, Whatever. sorry, dude. Fuck right off. It doesn't work that way. Every time. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. It is weird. So weird. So he claimed that he was all wound up on the evening of the 20th. He was sitting at home watching TV and he thought, I need to go out. I need to go out and do something. So he went for a drive. He said he'd recently gone through a breakup and he was seeing happy people while he was out and about. And it was, it was making his mood worse. Uh Around 6.55, he parked at the bottom of a small hill right behind the bus stop where Bobby was waiting for her bus. Apparently, Bobby reminded him of his past girlfriends. Okay. This guy. So he grabs a hammer, which he claims to keep in his car to fix dents. Is he just like bumper cars out there on the road? <laughs> right. What? You need that like immediately at all times? Right. Like I, okay, dude. first of all, second of all, you use a mallet, not a hammer. We're talking like a claw head hammer, right? right. Like a classic mm -hmm. fucking hammer. So he walks up, sneaks up basically behind her and he hits her over the head with it. Oh God. And as she fell to the ground, their eyes met. And so he hit her again. He told police <clears throat> that was going to be it. He was just going to clobber her over the head with a hammer a couple of times and peace out. So he goes back to his Ford Fiesta. 
Oh my, I cannot with this guy. I cannot. And then he looked back and saw her moving. And he drove over to her in front of the bus stop and fucking stuffed her in the trunk of his car. Oh, this poor little thing. He claimed that he thought about taking her to the hospital to get treated, but he was afraid of getting caught and that he acted with a very quote unquote industrial mindset of like getting rid of her as this problem that would come back to bite him if she lived. He drove about nine. Oh, well, yeah, no, this guy's such a piece of shit. It gets worse. So he drove about 19 miles away. He pulled into like a parking garage or a parking lot. I'm not sure which, because this is all happening in Great Britain and all the stories are coming out of UK. So it's like, it says car park. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I it's like, that. is that a lot? Is that a garage? Is that multi-level? <laughs> I don't fucking know. It's where cars park. That's it. That's all we get. <laughs> he opens the trunk and he proceeds to beat this beautiful young woman in what is described as a quote, prolonged, frenzied, sadistic attack. Oh, and caused multiple catastrophic injuries to her head and face. Oh, no. Somewhere else I read he p- might have even prior to that, like, strangled her. hmm And even then, Bobby was still alive. Fuck. Mm-mm. She made a noise, and Acklin told police that he thought to himself, quote, This is what he said. It's not funny, but she started to make a noise and I thought, fucking hell, wow. I mean, hats off to her. What the fuck? Hats off to her? Oh my God, that just gave me so many chills. Like he was impressed that she was still breathing after that savage beating with a hammer. It would be it would be dental records they used to ultimately confirm Bobby Ann's identity after her body was found. Who fucking thinks and who thinks like that? Who, oh, I don't even have words for that. I've never heard anything so disgusting. So I don't know. I think he must have like shut the trunk and then driven out to this this beach area or whatever, the Brovisan beach, because this was not the car park was not where this next part happened. So I, 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 it was hard. I like, I had like, I swear to God, I have like 15 articles on my, like my fucking lit. And I could not, like, I was just like piecing this all together. So once they're out by this, this, this wooded lane out at this park by the beach, um, he pulls her out of the trunk and he like walks her. He's like supporting her and he's walking her towards the woods where her body would later be found. And she said to him, I'm scared. She's still alive and talking mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. Oh, and he replied, so am I, I never done this. I've never seen this, but I meant to say I've never done this. What? Yeah. He's scared too, Amber. This is his first time. Oh my God, this person is evil. So he would kill her out there on that lane next to the woods. Ultimately, he stomped on her neck for good measure. It would end up being three hours between the initial attack at the bus stop and when Bobby would finally succumb to her injuries. God, this poor girl. Then he stripped her naked, stole her jewelry, and threw her body down that steep incline into the bushes. And then he went home and went to bed. Holy shit. Slept like a baby. So this the is next so day. so disturbing. It's just awful. So the next day he, he took his bloody clothes and, and Bobby's bloody clothes. And he put them in a bag and he threw them. Okay. Every, every, every article said he threw them into a nearby allotment. And so I had to go look that up. Um, The dictionary says that an allotment is a plot of land rented by an individual for growing vegetables or flowers. So like he threw this bag of bloody clothes into 
like a pea patch, like a community <laughs> garden area. What? I don't. Hmm. And he threw the hammer into a river, which was never recovered despite a thorough search by police. Hmm. So here we are the day after this heinous fucking crime that he spent some of his day covering up. And then he goes out for pizza with a friend. Why is there always like, and then we grabbed a bite to eat. Right. And then he went to band practice. Oh my God. He got some more food to go. And then he went to a pub that night and drank all night with his friends at a lock-in. What's a lock-in? Oh, you know, it's like a sleepover for adults where they, they lock, lock the doors and you, you're all locked in together overnight. Oh, that sounds terrible. At a pub? Uh-huh. Oh, that but sounds But you don't awful. actually sleep. You just stay up all night partying or whatever and drinking. Hmm. Okay. Um, some of his friends recall him being happier than usual. They said he was usually mm-hmm. only that happy when he was getting ready for a gig. Oh, my God. This Later, like, generated the same endorphins as music for him. Yeah. Oh, God, that's chilling. Yeah. Later, Ackland would tell a psychiatrist that the feelings of depression he had before he murdered Bobby had just vanished after he killed her. He also said he didn't even really think about it after it happened because it seemed more like a film or a fantasy than reality, like someone else had done it. Oh, no. And then the next day, he went to the movie theater and saw a film. Something is, something is very, very wrong in, in this dude's brain. Yeah. It would be the third day that he would walk off his job as a, if I were British, I would say valet, but a valet at a parking garage <laughs> in the middle of the day to go turn himself in. Like the high wore off and suddenly it hit him. I don't know. And the thing is, had he not done so, who knows if he would have been caught because Ackland had no record. He was not known at all to the police and had no known history of violence to any of any kind to anyone. So weird. Mm -hmm. As investigators dug even further into this absolute piece of trash, it turns out that in the months leading up to this senseless murder, Ackland had been searching the interwebs for information about several murderers, especially serial killers, with a particular fascination and admiration for none other than Ted motherfucking Bundy himself. No, come on. Can you be any more fucking cliche? cliche? I mean, really, mm-hmm. he had over 3000 images on his phone of dismembered or dead bodies, post-mortem Ooh. exams and murder scenes. Holy shit. He actually deep dove over the course of like three to four months, like, like Ted Bundy, the Golden State Killer, um, the the Vampire Sacramento. I can't remember his name. They, they listed off a bunch of different guys, but like he his 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 very specific. He was very specifically fascinated by Ted Bundy, and that's the one whose name comes up in like the headlines oh, of all the articles God. about this guy. Um, he also, even after the murder, he went deep diving onto Ed Kemper. Like he was obsessed oh with these God. fuckers. Oh. Yeah. And these internet searches were meticulous. He was looking for like every last detail down to like what these serial killers wore when they killed. And he also searched weapons on like DIY sites, websites or whatever. But he ended up with a hammer. I don't fucking know. So what the fuck? And of course, Bobby Ann's DNA was found all over Ackland's car. There was blood and blood splatters everywhere. There was no question that Ackland had done this and it had gone down very near exactly the way he described it. In April of 2022, he appeared in court briefly to plead guilty to the murder of Bobby. It would be in May of 2022 at Ackland's sentencing hearing when prosecutors would present all this evidence to the judge and the public would hear the full details of this murder. And also the articles I read about this referred to a jury as well. I'm not totally up on UK law, so I'm not sure exactly how that all goes down when someone pleads guilty, like somewhere in this process, a a jury still weighs in. 
Sometimes they have jury weigh in on sentencing. It must be what, it, that must have been what it is. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Wow. God damn it. Regardless, the judge who handed out Acklin's sentence was convinced that while he can't be certain that Acklin planned to murder someone the night he killed Bobby, he can be sure, based on all his internet search history, that Ackland was well on his way to murdering someone, that it was only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. So what he was saying is like, it might've been an impulsive decision in that moment. Like he saw Bobby and was like, I'm going to go like attack this girl. Like his plan all along was to kill someone. Right. 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 He sentenced Ackland to life in prison with a minimum sentence of 31 years. After sentencing, Brother Lee did yell out in the courtroom to Ackland, you're a dead man. Ooh. And police released a statement from Bobby Ann's family that read in part, quote, Bobby was a beautiful girl who lit up our lives and the lives of everyone she met. She was kind, funny, and loyal. She was the best daughter, the best sister, and the best friend to so many people. Everybody who knew Bobby loved her. We have been robbed of our beautiful girl in the worst possible way, and our lives will never be the same without her. I want Cody Ackland to know that he has taken away our world. We will never see her beautiful face or hear her laugh, see her get married, or have the children she so wanted. So many everyday things have been taken away. Her not being here is still unimaginable. Our lives have changed forever. We have not been able to say goodbye to Bobby Ann, and we can only imagine the things he did to her. The thoughts are continually going around in our minds. Why Bobby Ann? Why make her suffer? To know her final hours were spent being tortured destroys us inside. Bobby Ann was so loved and had so many life plans. He cruelly ripped that life away from her and us. We can't even contemplate a future without her in it. There will never be anything the justice system can impose that will ever come close to what he deserves. Wow. That is the story of Bobby Ann McLeod. Jesus Christ. That was terrible. Sorry, sister. It is that like worst fear thing though, right? Where it's like just some random fucking stranger while you're yeah. sitting there waiting for a bus in like your suburban neighborhood. She wasn't like in some like random, like inner city, like, you know, high crime area or it wasn't even that no. late at night. It no, was, was like six say. o'clock. Oh my God. You know, it wasn't like she I was can't. out after midnight. Like, wh- I can't imagine. Yeah. I have, you know, with my anxiety and thinking of things that will make it worse for funsies, like sure. I, um, I don't know as a parent, if I could handle hearing those details, like, right. I just, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I could go on after hearing that. It reminds me very much of the, and I, I want to say her name was Shanda. And she was killed by her, who she thought were her friends. And she was like in the trunk of a car and they were Oh my God, that story haunts me. I literally think about that story like once a fucking week. Like every time I start thinking about what's my next story for the podcast, that story comes into my brain. And I'll never. haunting. I'll never do that one. And I can never do Matthew Shepard because those two haunt me. But she, I remember cried out for her mom. I mean, I just, I can't. Yeah. Now this one is going to haunt me. I'm sorry. Yeah, sister. No, it's okay. It's okay. That I think there's something particularly brutal about beating someone and God, I don't know. And then being alive for a prolonged period of time. It's just, it's horrific. And to think of your child. Oh God. I just can't. I can't. I'm sorry, think- sister. Do we need to. Just some chaos for me. Fuck. Well, it's bleak. Oh. <sighs> yeah, but you already know, so it's not like. That's true. It's not... I feel really bummed out. I'm I need. So... I don't know if I can shake this off. Uh, take okay. a sip of wine. Take a deep mm. breath. God, this is literally damn. what we signed up for. Why? 
I don't know. You started it. I know. I'm sorry. Start a <laughs> podcast. It'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Well, let me tell you what um, what I did here. <laughs> so, because it's still spooky season, I was looking uh-huh. for I was looking for paranormal. Okay. And when and I did a Google of like iconic paranormal, and one of the things that came up was the Viper Room. So the the club the club down in LA where where River Phoenix died outside of a of a drug overdose that Johnny Depp used to own. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And then so I did this whole thing only to learn that there's like one little baby paranormal thing and that's all. But what oh. I didn't but I didn't know was that um when River Phoenix died it was Halloween 1993. It was on Halloween. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the 1993. Whole... Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on like 30 years, mm-hmm. literally, like we're like a couple weeks away from the 30 year anniversary of the, the passing of yeah. one of the most beautiful young men to ever be ruined by Hollywood. <sighs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little. Why does River Phoenix come up on our podcast so much? Does he? We talked about him at the live show, remember? I swear he's come up before, even after that. Okay. Well, I'm not sure, but I'm sorry. So No, and don't ever be sorry about talking about River Phoenix. It just makes me go a little dreamy for a minute. That's all. I know. Do you remember the the Big Bop magazines that we used to get? In Hells the, yeah. I had I River think, Phoenix on my wall. Are you kidding same-sies, me? Same Z. Yes. That's Corey Haim. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to the Viper Room. The Viper Room is located at 8852 Sunset Boulevard. Um, Sunset Boulevard is one of the longest streets in L.A. It goes from East L.A. all the way to the ocean. I did not know that. I didn't either. Yeah. And since the late 1930s, the Sunset Strip has been known for nightlife and rock and roll. The Sunset Strip, I'm assuming, is like a specific stretch of Sunset Boulevard. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was the Whiskey A Go-Go, the Roxy, and also mm-hmm. Gazaris for the heavy metal fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, reading this, I was, it's so, it's exactly the Seattle scene only dropped in LA. Yeah, 100%. It's so cool. So anyway, so um, Guns N' Roses was one of the biggest bands in the world in the 90s, and they got their start playing on the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. Coming out of the 80s and into the early 90s, Jane's Addiction makes an appearance on the strip. They were like the new sound. Um, And then as grunge grunge starts to move in, it started to become more common to see celebrities who were mostly known for acting, also performing on the strip as musicians. So Mm -hmm. Juliette Lewis, Jared Leto, Keanu Reeves, Johnny Depp, and Mm -hmm. River Phoenix. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the early 90s, Johnny Depp wasn't yet a huge movie star. He was just a TV star on 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Dayton won a writer. I'm, I'm, I'm not like team Johnny Depp for the record. I'm going to be controversial and say like, you know, he, he, he didn't look any better in that trial with Amber Heard than she did. So anyway. Oh, I have no opinions on. Okay. Um, It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So you do you. I've got, this is a safe space. Okay, great. I appreciate that. Sorry, KS Kids Clubs. KS Kids, if you you have strong opinions, I apologize, but you know I have strong opinions and I'm going to share them. And look, there's just, for the most part, most celebrity, most celebrities, I would say the vast majority of celebrities are fucking trash, especially the longer they stay in Hollywood. And Johnny Depp is no exception. He's fucking trash. Anyway, keep going. Okay, great. Um, So... Um, anyway, so he buys this sort of shitty old building on the sunset, sunset strip. Um, it was called the central and it was a live music bar. So he bought it for just over 300,000, barely outbidding Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, do you know how much real estate Arnold Schwarzenegger has? Mm-hmm. Did you watch mm-hmm. that Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix? There is one. No. Yeah. It's like a three-parter. It's worth watching, Amber. It's actually really well done. I know that sounds so strange, but you'll actually like, you'll like Arnold Schwarzenegger a little better. And I'm sure he's also like a piece of shit, but it's fascinating. And yes, when he was like, before he became like super 
before he became like super famous as an actor when he was still like the muscle guy and he was mm-hmm. like trying to make his way in the, in, in the States and he was living in LA. He bought like a ton of fucking real estate in like the late seventies and the early eighties, early eighties in, in LA. Yeah. He's worth like a lot of fucking money because he owns a lot of fucking real estate. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Huh. I know me either. Till I watched that three parter on Netflix. What made you click on that and go, yep, this is what I'm doing tonight. Well, somebody that <laughs> I work with had watched it and said it's oh. worth watching and you should watch it. And I trusted their opinion. So I had nothing better to watch one night and I watched it and I'm okay. glad I did. No judgment. Good, good, good. Okay. So he buys this dive bar and he renames it the Viper Room and it quickly becomes a hot spot, despite the fact that it only held like 200 people. Artists who regularly played there included the Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Petty played for the opening night of the, the Viper Room. Nice and it get. also, <clears throat> yeah, it also became like a safe haven for celebrities because Johnny was extremely particular about who was allowed in and it wasn't uncommon for him to be the door person. So personally, like Johnny yeah. Depp is standing outside the door deciding who can and can, can't come in. Correct. So there was no paparazzi allowed inside. And oftentimes it was sort of like celebrities only so that they can come in and just like be quote unquote normal people. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like stay in their bubble so they don't have to like, you know, socialize with the, the common folk, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, they would also do themed events. There was a burlesque night the dating game night and Allison in Wonderland night and the pussycat dolls with Christina Applegate started at the Viper room. Hmm. Didn't know that. Nope. Yeah. They auditioned for Johnny Depp and he loved them so much that they ended up doing a weekly show for eight years. Wow. I know. And Adam Duritz, the lead singer of counting crows worked at the Viper room as a bartender in the late, uh, late 94, early 95. This was after he already became famous. Like they got their start on the strip as well. And they kind of went from like being a garage band to being on the cover of Rolling Stones, like overnight. Mm -hmm. And he was very like, he was in this documentary that I was watching about like his mental health issues and he wasn't handling it well. So he would go to the Viper room and like bartend and just like chill the fuck out. It's kind of like how sometimes I leave work and I think it was better when I was just a barista sling and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I ha- mm-hmm. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do. I do. Mm-hmm. I used to have this debate all the time with my ex-husband about like my mental fatigue is so much. Like, yeah, my feet don't hurt cuz I'm not waiting tables, but I'm like waking up in the middle of the night because I'm like, did I for- did somebody get arrested because of me? Does a victim not have a protection order because of me that, you know, like, right. I, I don't give a shit if I forgot to bring somebody's side of ranch. Like I ain't losing sleep over that. Right. <laughs> right. Because you go in, you clock in, you do your job and you clock out. And when you mm-hmm. walk out, like you do not think about your job at all. No, no. Cause it does and not there matter. Is so much freedom in that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Counting crows guy. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like a pumpkin. I, he probably is. He really does. Yeah. So anyway, so river Phoenix was adorable and he made his money in movies, but people who knew him said that his first love was music and that acting was his day job. Yeah. I think if I, I was like, I'm pretty sure like both him and Joaquin knee leaf, He's mm-hmm. relief. Right. Um, that's in here. Yeah. I, I feel like his parent, I think, I feel like it's like, they were like, like t- real typical, like child actors where like her, their, their mom, like shoved them into it. Probably. Yeah. They also, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to watch old. I was watching some old interviews with him and he, he clearly hated it and he was almost, aggressive when he was being mm-hmm. interviewed mm-hmm. of just like your questions are stupid why do i have to do this like he was uncooperative like yep in a, in a big way yep yeah mm-hmm. and i don't think he even really liked it very much i don't think so either yeah that was always the sense that i had mm-hmm. so yeah so he regularly played with the chili peppers and he was 
like besties with Flea. And <laughs> I mean, uh, Flea seems like the kind of guy that you could totally be besties with. Like Flea seems like good times. Uh, yeah. And I, because of this, I actually learned some of the words and give it away now because who the fuck knows what they're saying. But I learned that one of the verses is actually about River Phoenix. And it says, quote, there's a river born to be a giver. Keep your, keep you warm. Won't let you shiver. His heart is never going to wither. Come on, everybody. Time to deliver. Isn't I love that it. Sweet? I, I love, love it, it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So he was known to be incredibly giving and a caretaker, but he hated being in front of the camera, especially for interviews. Called them stupid. He struggled with fame quite a bit. And so he turned to drugs and alcohol to help mask his anxiety. He sounds a lot like Kurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, roughly around the same time too. Yes. This is. Uh, I mean, there was definitely like a zeitgeist around some of this stuff too, right? There was definitely like, I mean, if you go, if you step back another, a couple steps, it's like, you know, there's definitely commentary that's been made plenty of it about like the kind of music and the kind of movies and the kind of celebrities we had during that period of time that were, that were rising where it was like, it was also like the beginning of like, you know, like riot girl, like, you know, like with three R's, right. Where it's like, um, you know, just this back, this backlash to the polish and the glam and the glitz of the eighties. And this, like, that's all fucking dumb. You, you're mm -hmm. all too full of yourselves. Like, it's just a fucking job. Like you're not that important. Mm -hmm. Other things are more important, right? Like other things are way more important than your fucking hairband or your rom-com or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ugh. I don't remember. I think it was Adam uh, Counting Crows guy that said like in the like early 90s, it was like fame was an unfortunate side effect of being an artist. Yeah. And then it slowly involved it into like reality TV and like being just famous to be famous. And you have no art to bring to the table. It's just like this weird. Yep. Concept. The strange evolution of it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so he was great about being uh, sober when he was filming, and then he would generally turn back to substances when he wasn't, especially when he was doing, like, press for his mm -hmm. film, because he couldn't even. Yeah, so, I get it. Um, on October 30th, 1993, he is in L.A. having just finished filming Dark Blood, and okay. he had a bunch of press scheduled which he fucking hated so he gets into town he hated LA too he hated fucking being there same river same LA's <laughs> fucking the worst is it <laughs> yes I've never really I mean I've been to Disneyland so I've been oh, through LA yeah, but I've never going like to LA yeah I mean yeah I they talk about like the concrete jungle and just like it's yeah it's gross I, I could never live in LA hmm um, I have the 911 call in here. Is that going to be triggering for you? No, it's okay. Okay. Well, I'm letting other people know too. Okay. Fast forward about 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Um, so he's in LA. He's doing a bunch of press. He's with his brother, Joaquin, formerly known as Leaf, and his sister, Rain. Um, and he just wanted to be in for the night and spend time alone, but they both wanted to go to the Viper room. So just as they're headed out the door, um, River jumps up and he's like, okay, okay, I'll come. Oh. terrible so that night the band p was playing this band was johnny depp gibby haynes from the butthole surfers and flea okay it was quite the uh quite it's the lineup a, there yeah mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. a power trio if i ever heard one <laughs> i know <laughs> so it's packed in there and there's a few different versions of what exactly happened but the most common account is that someone handed river a drink and said drink this you'll love it he downed the drink and almost immediately started having convulsions. What? Was his drink spiked? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. So a 911 calls, call comes in from Joaquin um, saying uh, that Phoenix needs Phoenix, oh, Joaquin Phoenix saying that he needs a medic and that his brother is having a seizure and that he is outside on the sidewalk in front of the Viper room. This 911 call is horrific to listen to. He's just like screaming and he's like, why aren't you fucking getting here? Um, 
His sister Rain is giving him CPR. So the band is still on the stage and they have no idea that this is all happening right outside the front door. And just as the set is finished, Lee hears that something is wrong with River. So he comes outside just in time to hop into the ambulance and ride with River to Cedar sinai And despite working on him for about half an hour, medics say that he was already deceased when he was still on the sidewalk. I know. It was later learned that his drink had cocaine and heroin in it, and he also had Valium in his system. What? Mm Mm-hmm. I know. I don't think that someone was trying to harm him. I think like the, the drugs were just rampant there and just like sharesies and nobody knows who was doing what and who brought what or what belonged to who. And I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. <sighs> I know. He was such a cutie patootie. This is just yeah. so depressing. I'm so fucking sorry. I was no, trying to make it okay. paranormal. There's no paranormal. Well, there's a baby paranormal. It's fine. Okay. <sighs> so anyway, um, Johnny Depp sold the Viper Room in 2004. In 2017, the Ghost Adventures crew went there. Oh, with and- Zach? Oh, I don't know. Is that guy a douche? Yeah. Oh, oh, big time. Tell me Big. because, um, and that's why we drink, talk about Zach all the time. And I'm like, oh, no, Who is this he, Zach? Is, he is such a douchebag. He's a gym yeah. bro douchebag too. Like he's oh, like a meathead kind of, he's just, he'll do anything to be famous. Oh, he's the and famous to be famous. He'll do anything to be famous. And he, he also like, like he's hooked up with Ed and Lorraine, like, like they're buddies. It's a whole, he, he's, he's the worst. I, I've, I've lost the knowledge in my head of like the specifics of what makes him extra fucking douchey, but he actually, yeah. Anyway, we could do, we'll, do go, a chaos you, story on him. <laughs> I mean, maybe, or you can just go look it up. People, the interwebs will tell you why he's a piece of crap. Oh, okay. Well, um, I didn't watch their, I started to watch a little bit of it and I had no idea who these people were and they were actually so obnoxious that I had to turn it off and go find something to read about it instead of watch it because it was annoying. Yeah, most of those ghost show people are obnoxious. Anyway, so they went in there with their little, uh, you know, Ghostbuster backpacks or whatever they're doing. And the Mm -hmm. only thing that they picked up was a male voice that said, I get confused. No. I know. It's kind of sad. So the Viper Room closed its doors during the pandemic and is now set to be demolished and a 12-story high-rise apartment complex is going up. That tracks. That tracks. And that is uh, how River Phoenix died in the wee hours of Halloween 1993. Oh, God. I... It also sounds like, too, like you could speak to this much better than I could, but like the having just come off a set, which who knows how long it was and being clean for a period of time right. and then returning to usage of whatever amount you were previously yep. comfortable with is very dangerous. Yeah. And plus the, all, mixing all those drugs, because we're talking like, like he, that w- probably wasn't the first drink he had. Mm-mm. He already had benzos in his system. So that's two, that's two downers. Mm-hmm. Then he had, in his that drink was spiked with coke and with heroin, so yeah. that's like another downer plus a stimulant. Like, mm. yeah, that and the volume in his system, I think that was part of just like common practice life. for him when he was in LA. Yeah, like going to LA, better grab the volume because I fucking hate it there. Yeah, he wants to be sedated. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Oh my yeah. god, that is just. I feel like I've read that Johnny like really felt like kind of responsible for that. And like, mm-hmm. can you imagine being the person who gave him that drink? I mean, they never mm-hmm. found out who it was. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if they do, it's all very, 
you know, this like secret society, they're not going to, they're not sure, saying. They're not going to let anyone get in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. No, just <sighs> awful. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. No, mm-hmm. that is just. Yeah. And watch your drinks. Seriously. Watch your drinks. Yeah. And both of his siblings were there. Yes. Can you, I can't even imagine. Like, I can't even imagine. I mean, no wonder, I mean, no wonder Joaquin is so fucking weird. You know what I'm saying? Like that guy's Uh fucking weird and he's never Uh been okay. And I, I'm sure that that had a huge part to play in it. I'm sure of it. Like that kind of trauma. For sure. I mean, this could have been a two-parter because if you go even further back, like they grew up in a cult. Yes. And, uh, Do you, you remember know, which it, cult it was? Isn't it the something, it's the same one that like Rose McGowan was in, right? Something oh. Love. Yes, oh. you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called, but you're right. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. They, and that's why they had the names that they had. Their parents were like Correct. these hippy dippy Christian cult people or whatever. Like. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird mix of that and then shoving them into Hollywood. What? I mean, it is weird. Yeah, that is weird. I mean, Scientology does it. I know. And also I can understand like, I mean, I don't know how they grew up, but if it's anything like the cult that I'm loosely familiar with over here for reasons we won't mention, which sounds very similar. It's like fucking living in yurts and like, building campfires for your dinner. So I can imagine the shock, the culture shock of LA, if that's how you were raised is even more fucking anxiety inducing than, well, not only you know? that, but like it makes even more sense why he would hate those stupid interviews because that's back to what I was saying before about like, there's so much more important things we could be talking about. Like this, these, these insipid, boring fucking interviews about nothing right Mm -hmm. like this is this is a kid who was raised in like this super you know for better or worse like spiritual environment probably talking about really heady concepts at a really young age right he always struck me as really smart yeah a lot of people said that about him he was super like animal rights activist environmentalist mm -hmm. save the earth and all the things and he was like i don't want to fucking talk to you about what i'm wearing like Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly Mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. God damn it. Well, sister, that was a double Debbie Downer. Double Debbie Downer. We just did a double Debbie Downer. We sure did. I am sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Um, Go to the order. Um, Follow us on all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We're on the TikTok now. And Naomi is thriving over on TikTok. (laughs) I don't thriving <laughs> i mean she's really i'm really jumping doing in your thing. guys like i'm jumping in okay look i'm not gonna be on social media and not try my hand at whatever's going on there so i'm jumping in both feet straight into the water we'll see how it goes good for we'll you see how it goes <laughs> yeah go check us out and uh what else mm, oh well you know join the chaos kids club we're like i think one person away from having 20 20 chaos kids. I mean, if you count me and Marissa, which aren't technically counted in the, in the club, but we do count as Patreons. You count. It looks, it looks like there's 19 because Marissa and I are in there, but we're not in the club. Uh, so one more, one more of you, we, we will, we'll, 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 we'll give it to you on a technicality. One more person <laughs> joins the chaos kids club on the Patreon.com backslash crime, wine and chaos. And we will have a virtual wine night. Hell yeah, we will. And I was just listening to an old episode. We were looking for clips for a promo, and I heard us promise that we would tell the story about the crime, the McGruff crime dog story if we oh do another virtual white night. And you <laughs> are supposed to show up as McGruff. McGruff. I will. I'll do it. I'll sit in my hot box with that fucking giant dog head on. Only for like a minute, and then you can take it off. But you okay, have to wear I'll the trench it. coat or it doesn't it. count. Oh my, oh yeah, because he takes a bite out of crime. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Well, oh. sister, that was a bummer, but it was also really fucking Really fucking chaotic. chaotic. Love Bye. you. Bye. I love you too. Bye.
Crime, Wine, and Chaos is produced by 8th Direction Records. Artwork by Joshua M. Davis. Music by Paul Abner. If you would like to support the show, you can visit our Patreon page at Crime, Wine, and Chaos forward slash Patreon. Cheers. I'll be strogan. It is that like worst fear thing though, right?